0: You can feel anger and you can feel happiness. You can feel gratitude. You can feel frustration. You can feel joy mm-hmm. all at the same damn time. I think there's a lot of power when you realize that, you know, what follows I am and what powerful. follows I feel yeah. is very momentary, mm-hmm. is very powerful, and you have moments of choice there.
1: This is Your Kick Ass Life Podcast, episode number 299 with guest Charlie Gilkey. This is the Your Kick Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen and no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another podcast episode. I am so glad that you're here. Also, if you could see me right now, you would see how big I am smiling. You would also see that i am surrounded completely surrounded by plants if you get the emails that i send out then you probably remember that i sent out an email talking about my plethora <laughs> my abundance of house plants i think i'm up to 48 i have to i have to count i haven't counted in a few weeks now but i recently bought an elephant ear and you can probably tell by the name if you don't know what that is they get some pretty big leaves. There's all kinds of different ones. I have a smaller one downstairs, but I bought this really big one over the weekend, put it in my office, and it makes me so happy. I keep looking over at it and staring at it like I have a crush on someone in seventh grade. Remember that? Oh my gosh, this plant makes me so happy. I'm going to do an Instagram story of it so you can see. Go to my stories. That's where I usually talk about my plants. And if you missed it, go to the highlights and it's titled Plant Lady where you can see a lot of my plants. You'll see how many plants I have that make me so very, very happy. Hey, speaking of the emails that I send out every month, if you don't get those, you should. We send out about three a month. And these are stories from my life, things that I think of that I hope that you find interesting too, life lessons, motivating, inspiring. That's what I do. And you can easily grab those. I know a lot of you are on your phone right now. So you can text the word kick ass, make it all one word to 444-999. And you can get those. You'll also get the weekly emails that we send out for this podcast, but that's about it. That's all I'm sending out these days. Information about the podcast, as well as fun, motivating, inspiring emails. So you can grab that. Super pumped to bring you this episode today. Charlie Gilkey's been on the show before. He was on, I don't know, several months ago. A lot of you wrote in and said how much you liked that particular episode all about productivity. So he's here to talk about productivity again, a little bit differently. It's not a repeat of last time. And before we jump in, I want to tell you next week, episode 300, it's a big one. 300 episodes. Holy crap. It doesn't feel like it's been 300 episodes, and that's a good thing because if it would have felt like I've done 300,000 episodes, I probably shouldn't be doing this gig, but I love it. I love bringing this show to you every week. So 300 next week. I am going to do a show. I'm going to do a solo show. haven't recorded it yet. I will do it this week, and I'm going to talk to you about my own Sometimes I get these ideas for shows or I post on social media, and I'm like I'm looking around and Not, I mean, other life coaches are being vulnerable about their stuff, but they're typically talking about stuff that happened to them a long time ago. (laughs) 10 years ago, I was face down living in a van by the river. And then now things are great, which, hey, I do that too, because I legitimately wasn't in a van down by the river. I was in a studio apartment with my cat and too many bottles of wine, but I also talk about things that are going on now that are scaring the shit out of me that I'm struggling with and I'm walking through and how I'm doing it. I never, ever want you to think that my life is immaculate now, that I have all these tools and that I've written these books and and have success. And and I'm really, I mean, I won't lie. Things are freaking great. (laughs) They really are. But I still run into struggles and challenges all the time. So this book that I've been writing, that I've been talking about so much that it probably doesn't even come out until the year 2021, no lie, not an exaggerating, but you're probably already sick of hearing about it. It's been a slugfest, and I'm just writing the proposal. So I'm going to talk to you about some things that are happening with the proposal, some feedback I got on my proposal, and how difficult it's been, and what I do during those moments where I feel like I got the emotional shit kicked out of me that'll be next week if I am brave enough to do it. (laughs) So if next episode, I'm suddenly like, here's an interview. No, I won't do that because I already said it here. That is coming up. Also, a few weeks after that, I'm bringing back on Amy Smith to do another conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people. She was on a few weeks ago. We talked about money. This time we're talking about anxiety disorders. She and I both have medical diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder. And we have somewhat different stories about what that used to look like in our life, what it looks like now, what we do to help ourselves and and live with anxiety. And she's going to come on candid conversation. Again, we are not experts on it, but I thought it would be helpful because I know a lot of you struggle with it as well. So look for that a few episodes from now. (laughs) Before we jump in, I am going to tell you a little bit about our guest today. Charlie Gilkey helps people start finishing the stuff that matters. He's the founder of Productive Flourishing, author of the forthcoming Start Finishing and The Small Business Life Cycle, and host of the Productive Flourishing podcast. Prior to starting Productive Flourishing, Charlie was a joint force military logistics coordinator while simultaneously pursuing a PhD in philosophy. So without further ado, here is Charlie. Welcome back to the show, Charlie.
0: I am so pumped to be here again and just really excited to lean into this conversation.
1: I am so glad you're here too. I remember the last time that you were here, and of course that link will be in the show notes. I said at the end of the conversation, I have to have you on again because we were not done talking about this topic, and I know we will probably go on some side streets here, but you have a new book that I think everyone should go out and buy. It's called Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done. I want to jump in because I have so many questions. So let's start with, I mean, just sort of the obvious question, you know, anyone can go to the bookstore or Amazon and there are lots of books about productivity, how to be more efficient, how to be more productive. What is different about this one?
0: You know, that's a great question. Um, And it's one I had to grapple with as I was writing this book. And before I even started writing it, it it's like, why write another productivity book, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But what I found missing and what I continued, what I found missing in the beginning of starting my work about a decade ago and what I find still missing in so many of the conversations are uh, really comes down to three things. Um, One is that so many of the, so the productivity and personal development literature is really split. Um, On the one side, on the productivity side, you have a lot of like really hacky nitty gritty, like next action sort of really granular stuff. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, on the personal development, you have sort of these big dreams and visions and principles and values and things like that. But most of us live this li- live our lives in this messy middle of projects. Like, how do we actually get projects done, right? That's yeah. that's that's what we end up doing. That you know creates a better economic livelihood for us, or that makes us happy, and so on and so forth. So I saw an insufficient um, focus to projects. The second thing that really frustrated me is that. In many ways, the productivity conversation is unconsciously exclusive for women, especially um, because we it focuses so much on economic work Mm -hmm. and leaves the work of our lives kind of hanging out there. Like you know, you'll get to it, or you know, maybe prioritize it, you know, maybe think about it, but we don't get it on our schedules in the same way. We don't apply all of the ways we think about economic work to the work of our lives. And so, I wanted to shift more of the conversation from you know, let's. Yes, we need to talk about the life of our work, but we also need to talk about the work of our lives and figure out how to get that on the schedule. And the third bit is that I wanted to make sure to include the social element of doing your best work. And so I guess that would be the fourth one. The social element, meaning um, how do you build a group of people around you that helps you do your best work. And by best work, I mean not just the normal type of work, because you know, work can kind of be a four letter word for us. Uh-huh. Um, you know, in the like we don't want to talk about it. We you know, we don't talk about it in polite company, we wanna we don't want to touch it, we don't wanna you know, we wanna get away from it, right? Um and so we get books like the four hour work week, which means like the book is different than the title is, you know, Tim Ferriss's book on yeah. that one. But um the the idea that we kind of came across is like we wanna do less work, but it turns out that there's a certain type of work that our soul yearns to do mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that really calls us to do. And we actually want to do more of that type of work. So we so don't want to hack
1: it down. Mm-hmm.
0: We don't want to hack it down. We actually, this is the stuff that like you get to the end of the week or you get to the end of the month or a quarter of the year. And you're like, man, I wish I would have done more of that. I wish I could have got to do more of that. And so there's an insufficient amount of conversation around that type of stuff. And so I wanted to, the book to sort of reorient us towards a more expansive um perspective around getting stuff done and around becoming our best selves in the world.
1: Well, you know, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I I would love to sort of kind of veer over for just a minute to, can you give us some examples of projects and ideas and what you're calling work that aren't starting a business. So I know that some of the examples in the book, you you refer to that. And I know a lot of the audience, these are people who are crafters. They might be writers. They might be thinking about a side hustle business, but aren't sure what. So can you give us some examples of what you're talking about when you're talking about these projects and ideas?
0: Yeah, I'm going to start general here, right? A project is anything that takes time, energy, and attention to complete. Anything that takes time, energy, and attention to complete. That's a really expansive definition that when you really get it, it was like, wait a second, I'm holding on to a lot of projects. Yes, you are. Uh Right? And so cleaning out the closet of doom is a project. Getting your kids back and forth to school, like, you know, during the summer, fall transition, that's a project. The holidays are a a project. Which I largely Uh, skip
1: because I don't have the time, energy. (laughs)
0: For it. Yeah. vacations are projects yeah. um getting married getting divorced mm-hmm. are projects um any like you mentioned art project like if you're in a band like and you do shows and things like that those shows are projects right they require time energy and attention to do um you know in many ways like getting if you are in a caretaking position for your for your um a, for your parents that can be a project and i'm gonna zoom up a little bit because Um, I talk about the notion of project world. So it's kind of a capital P project. And it turns out that our lives are split um, professionally and personally into sort of three to five year chunks, it seems Mm -hmm. where every three to five years, there's a new aspect of our lives that we take on. So I'll talk about parenting, right? Because um, you know, boom, they pop out and then there's three to five years of that sort of baby toddler phase. Mm-hmm. That's a certain distinct phase of it. But then there's that they're going to school phase and they're in elementary school, which is distinct from there. They're going to middle school, so on and so forth. And so every three to five years, there's this really significant shift in the child's identity and life and the parent's relationship with them. But our our careers are that way. Like you get a job and you might sit in that job for three to five years and then you get promoted or you get another job or you get lateraled or something happens. Um, same with a business. Like I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't really think about the fact that every three to five years, a business is going to take on a different form and what they've been doing will, will no longer work. Right. right? So externally and internally, every three to five years is a shift um, that we can call a project. And the beauty of that is that it can help us let go of that fear of making like the wrong decision for what our next project should be. Um, because guess what? Three to five years, win, lose or draw, you're going to be moving on to the next thing. Uh Um, and so you're not making, we're, you know, a lot of times we tell ourselves and, you know, I've worked with a lot of women a lot of women are like super gripped by this idea. Like if I make this choice and I do this thing, then forever, right. Right. It's going to be the rest of my life is going to be different and I'll never be able to get it back. And it's a non-reversible decision. And so to talk themselves into a cage where they get stuck, right. Yeah. Um, well,
1: that's. I want to stop you for a second because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking that people's ears perked up when you said just a little bit ago about, and maybe I misheard you. Maybe it was like wishful thinking, but you said talking about make making sure you're making the right decision because this is agony. I, I think, and I only work with women, so this is the only cohort that I know. But the pa- the paralyzing feeling of. I can't make a decision because I'm afraid it's going to be the wrong one because it's vulnerable to to make a decision mm-hmm. and be like, ah, oh, I'm just going to jump and see what happens. So can you say more about that? Did I mishear you?
0: No, okay. you didn't miss me. Um, I think then that sign is me the, up.
1: Gotta- Take all my sign, money, sign Charlie. Money.
0: <laughs> all right, so – Let's talk about the van down by the river, okay? right? And so there's this whole Chris Farley skit. If you haven't like go to YouTube, but it's like, you know, the motivational speaker that's going to pump kids up and he's like, you'd be like me living in a van down by the river. Right. And so there's, unfortunately, I think many of us have this faulty mental loop that like we get one, maybe two shots. And if it doesn't work, we're going to be in a van down by the river. Uh screwed. Right. We're screwed. But think about it this way, Andrea. We don't apply the same sort of thinking to the mirror opposite of epic success. We don't think like I get one or two things and then I'm going to be – I'm going to make it. Like we kind of see that that's a long grind. It's a long grind (laughs) to epic success but two bad decisions to epic failure. Mm
1: -hmm. Totally.
0: Like think about that. Like as long as you're not making – A mistake of character. You can make all the sort of tactical decisions, tactical mistakes you want, right? Um, As long as you don't lie, cheat, steal, and screw people over, and those types of things. Like, there's a lot of room for error, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, the thing about it is, is with Project World, like, yes, I'm I'm not going to tell you like it prevents you from making the bad decision. It prevents you like that every decision is easy. But the thing about it is, it's a three to five year time capsule, which flies which flies and you can get to the end of that and be like, you know what? That wasn't the right move for me. And you've learned a lot about yourself. True, You've increased your capabilities and you're closer to that thing that ultimately is the right thing for you. And that's the tricky thing. Like we tend to think, some people tend to think that there's some like position out there. There's some like utopia or some sort of place that like we're trying to get there. But the reality is that's a shifting thing. Like every three to five years, every time we do something significant, that place shifts because our capabilities, uh-huh. our realities, our expertise, our networks grow with us. So there's not really a there. There's like not a van down by the river and wherever you think you want to go. Like if you're really doing your best work, that transformative work that imp- that improves yourself, that improves your community, that improves the world, you can't actually see where you're going anyways all you've got is this sort of 3 to 5 year headlight mm-hmm. that you can see this is what i'm working on now and when it's no longer the right thing learning to trust yourself and trust the people around you that 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 you will be able to guide yourself with the help of the people around you to the next right thing that's in front yeah. of
1: you okay i have two different questions based on that but i want to first ask you just you probably don't like the question you don't ask the question like where do you see yourself in 10 years Mm-hmm. Do you not ask people based on what you just said? I've never liked the question. I'm always like, I'm going to be happy. I don't want to think that far out.
0: So I am a strategist. Okay. And so I have to ask some vision questions, but um, there's a way of asking that question of like, how would you like your days to be in 10 years yeah. that I think we can have meaning mm-hmm. because you can start to look at what would that look like? You wake up in the morning, what do you do? Right, and so it and the the first level story is not what's important to me. It's why is that the way that you're spending your yeah. day? Why is that important to you? And then that lets us find different ways of getting to a position that lets them do the thing in that way. So, for instance, if someone wants to be a full time writer and there's like I see my day doing that, well, there are a lot of ways to be a full time writer. Mm-hmm. Turns out, right? Um, but we can start to guide their life and career to make space. For the for the panoply of ways in which they might be a full time writer, which may exclude them from being a full- time musician right right because those are those are sort of incompatible sometimes incompatible ways of of working and living and so um I tend to ask the question more that way now here's what I'll say um and Andrew we may have had a shade of that conversation earlier before in the green room is like where do you want to be in three mm-hmm. years and why I focus on three years is because I think it's that. Interesting place between where we can't really collapse into planning and trying to figure out like, well, here are the exact projects I need to do to get there yet, Um, and it's far enough that we can see what we can see that gap between where you are now and where you want to be without it just becoming so such like magical unicorn thinking that we can get there. And so I do ask those questions, but 10 years, like that's super hard because again, I, I look at it in sort of my perspective or my client's perspective. Like if you asked any of us 10 years ago, where we would be, it would not be mm-hmm. where we are. Right. I um, mean, a lot of times we're in a way better that's, position. That's now. my,
1: like, <laughs> that's where I'm at. I'm beyond where now. I thought if I would have been asked this question in 2009, I would have, I would have told you half of the things that I have already done in that 10 years.
0: Precisely. And so, why should we think that 10 years from now would be any different? Are we going to let up the gas Mm -hmm. pedal? Are we going to like play smaller? Mm -hmm. Are we going to like, if we've been for the last decade of our lives, been able to build this new expansive reality that we couldn't see, what makes us think we can't do that for the next Mm -hmm. decade of our lives?
1: Yeah. Amen. Okay. My other question was based on what you were saying about the people around you and trusting those people around you. And I talk about that a lot over here about your community and who you, well, boundaries as well. And so the specific question I have for you is what what should the listeners do when others don't believe in their projects or ideas? I know I have my answer, but I think yours might be a little bit more strategic.
0: Cool. Well, um, I think there are two different types of people that you want to look at um, who may not be believers or who may be um, causing you to have some friction with your ideas. I'm problems.
1: assuming you're going to say the dicks and the assholes.
0: <laughs> I am not going to say that. Sorry, I couldn't um, help myself. You, you-
1: <laughs> all right.
0: Oh, I think I have to be more careful with that one than you do. But that's all right. Uh, so I was going to say the derailers and yours naysayers. Is,
1: yours is better. Uh, <laughs> More yeah. professional,
0: uh, at least. <laughs> and so the derailers are well-meaning people who like have like they truly do have yeah. your best interest mm-hmm. in heart. But however they interact with you, just always seems to kneecap you, and it always seems like you have to put up put on your shield and your armor to go talk to them. You always kind of feel like crap mm-hmm. after talking to them about your project. But the frustrating thing is, like they not actually, you know, they're not the dicks and the assholes. They're like your boss who usually is a nice person but they yeah. just drain you or they could be your partner right your life partner they could be your parents they could be your sibling they could be a friend that just never actually yeah. backs you right and so derailers are different than naysayers and naysayers are what they sound like they're just the trolls and the haters and to quote the you know philosopher poet and musician taylor swift <laughs> haters, gonna, haters
1: hate. gonna hate right yeah.
0: uh, <laughs> and, and so um, but what we do, unfortunately, is I think we spend especially and I know I keep saying especially women on this one, because one, mm-hmm. know your audience, but two is because I've seen this pattern more um, in in the people that I work with. I think um, women try to accommodate the naysayers and the derailers and they spend an inordinate yes. amount of time messing with their derailers and naysayers and almost completely neglect their yaysayers. The people who are going to be like, like that already believe mm-hmm. in you, that already know you've got it. The people that like when you like sneakily show that vulnerability to like actually claim something that you've done, they're yeah. like, Of course you did that. That's who you are. And you're like, What the f- <laughs> what? No, right? <laughs> they're those Ooh. people. So we spend, you know, 80% of our time focusing on naysayers and derailers, excuse me. Yeah, naysayers and derailers and just the leftover for the naysayers. So first off, is pivot your attention. So, real number one, pivot your attention to your naysayers, right? Go to the people who. Um, already believe you preach to the converted, that type of thing. And you put those on what, what I call your success pack, which we may talk about here in a second. But when it comes to derailers, derailers are all about strategic positioning in the sense of like, you could have that, um, boss that every time you go to her, she's like, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? At a certain point, you can figure out where her Mm -hmm. patterns are. And you can figure out where in your project's life cycle you might want to talk to her. So she might be the type where it's like, you know, you can't go to her and spitball an idea. Like you have to have a fully formed idea before she'll engage in a helpful way. So what do you do? Go to her with a fully formed idea and keep your half fleshed ideas to mm-hmm. yourself.
1: Okay. Right. And
0: with your success pack. And so it's about, it's about timing. You know, if you've got that, um, you know, parent, and I say that a lot because, um, Uh, unfortunately parents can be people's derailers a lot right if you've got that parent who you know is always calling and asking about your project and how things are going and how's it going and you know that they're going to slide some remark in there that's going to derail her like don't talk about the project right Mm -hmm. like if they ask how it goes like you know it's been a good week on it lie (laughs) right tell some half truth i don't care everything's great yeah because more Yeah. It's like, you know, it's going right. You can say something Mm -hmm. like that. It is going and make it clear that you don't want to talk about it. Cause this, and and this is whether you're winning or losing with that project, because if you're winning, then you'll get a kneecap. And if you're losing, you'll get something, some version of I told you so. Mm -hmm. Right. And so just understand that as much as you may yearn for that validation from that person, it, that's not the person that's going to fuel your work. And that's sad, right? It really is. But what's even sadder, is letting this pattern that you know is going to play out dictate how you're in relationship with that person and right. your project?
1: I think all of us end up learning that the hard way. I don't know if there's any other way to learn it. You have to experiment and then I and that do you find too that we we tend to go back to those people over and over again? No, this is gonna be the time they support me. <laughs>
0: Just so my mom loved her to death, like Andrew, you'll get this. Like she I was I was talking to her and it was the I had just turned mm-hmm. in my manuscript, right? And I was like, hey mom, she's like, what's going on? And I was like, you know, I'm super excited because I turned my manuscript on time. It was, like, it was due on, you know, Thursday, and I turned it in on Thursday. And she's like, You turned it in last minute oh, no. again, didn't you? <laughs> and I'm like, but I but I was like, oh shit, I, I made the mistake. Um but. It was one of those things where I was like, no, because I've, 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 I'm in a different relationship with mine. I Was like, so mom, like, what you got to know is most authors don't yeah. actually turn their 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 manuscripts on. Like, it's actually a really big and good deal that it got turned in when it got turned in, and I'm really proud of it. So, yes, I turned it in on the day it was due. Um, but which also is better than
1: ninety five percent of authors. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. But it was just one of those things yeah. where I was like, oh
1: you mother oh
0: you know and but it was just like okay forgot i slid into it because i was running you know i was running a victory lap with people i love and i think that's what we do right is there's this natural urge to run a victory lap when you've done something super successful and 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 you're proud of it and you just forget that there are some people who can't see the victory (sighs) Mm -hmm. um and you just kind of slide into that but again knowing that it's about them and their stuff and not about you is that's huge to know and so you're yeah you're just able to pivot you know pretty much like i did with my mom and be like you know here's actually the truth you can have whatever story you want but here's the real deal and yes. i'm running this mug right? <laughs> You're not going to take that from me. And so you can either join the party or I you can I think it's leave, their and stuff.
1: And sometimes we get into patterns with the people we communicate with the most and the people we have attachments with where you know we get into like the same kinds of conversations, the same kind of responses. You know what i started to do and it's mostly just with my husband and my mom. If i don't get the response, like if i fall into one of an example that's similar to yours, i sort of combat it with humor and i say okay, mom, this is the part where you say, congratulations, honey. (laughs) And we can kind of laugh about it. And I have the type of relationship with both my husband and my mom where they know, okay, like this is how Andrea wants to be supported and loved. And they don't take it personally. There's no argument or anything. So that's just another option for people to take.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think you may have a more optimistic (laughs) view of it. Like I know my mom's not going to change that. So I'm like, you know.
1: I'm trying to train my people. I'm just trying to train them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no 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 I I'm I'm done training people. <laughs> um. So you you take them as they are. Yeah, I'm ho- I'm hoping for a win
1: here on this one. It's going pretty. It's going actually okay.
0: <laughs> hey, I, I'm saying <laughs> you have the better you have the better approach on this one than I do. Um, I I have some yeah. um, resignation. Um, but I but it's also oh I have like,
1: that with other people who will go unnamed like on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. So I I want to. I'm dying to ask you about <laughs> yeah. the kinds of projects that if it, it, I thought of it when you were talking about decorating for holidays. Like let's use that example. I love the idea of that. Like, I love, just like I loved the idea of a third child, I didn't want the reality of it. So we stopped it too. But I love the idea of decorating for Christmas and Halloween, probably. And my daughter would love for me to do this. I don't want to because of the extra work. So, how does one get motivated to do work that they dread, whether it's like a writing project or decorating or anything?
0: All right. So there are different reasons we dread things. So let's talk about procrastination, which is very loosely tied to dread uh, or very tightly tied to dread, it turns out. Um, so quick thing to think about, we don't procrastinate or we don't need an accountability you know, buddy or productivity system to eat ice cream no, we don't. or whatever your favorite mm-hmm. dessert is. Right. Um, we actually need all of those <laughs> to not eat ice cream. Um, so. That that gives us a little bit of insight of what's going on here. Is there something about either the work itself or the return or the value or how long it's going to take, right? Um, which helps us to sort of start thinking about what is it about that particular type of project. So with the decorating thing, the first thing I would say is like, you know, return to the why. Like, why does that really matter to you? Um, what does that bring? And really get in touch with that vision. And in some ways, especially when you're uber busy, which a lot of us are, right, I think we have to start figuring out what what pains we're going to accept mm-hmm. and what we're not going to, right? Is there is there enough of a pain, an emotional tug, a longing um that's going to come from you not doing the decorating that is greater than something else that's that's going to, you know, be dipl- displaced by you doing it, right? So you might have to give up something to get it. And in that case, like, as long as we think that we're giving up something more important for something less important, we're going to end up in this weird position of like, yeah. why the hell am I doing this? Right? So you really do have to be grounded with that. And sometimes that's a narrative form. So you can tell yourself, like, you know, this is – it creates this atmosphere of love mm-hmm. and joy. And yeah, and traditions. And, and I want her to have those and,
1: memories.
0: And tradition and, all you know, all those types of things. So is like, okay, that's what is important. It's not about no. the stupid tinsel. <laughs> it's about – all the rest of this. Um, And I think the second reason we end up dreading it is because again, we don't make it a project in the sense where we don't sit down and think like, okay, that's actually going to be 12 to 16 hours of work by the time Mm -hmm. I'm in and out of this, right? How do I create the space in my week to do that? So that the whole, like as long as it feels like you're trying to cram 12 to 16 hours on, you know, into two weeks where you already don't have that time, it's going to increase that dread because there's just that compression that we all feel. And so it's during those weeks, it's like how do you create a spaciousness in your schedule? How do you decide to not do some things so that you can do that, really lean into it and not be trying to put the star on the tree and answer email at the same time, because you're trying to, you're trying to do both. And so I think where a lot of the dread and where a lot of that comes from is actually that um, women, especially um, because of, you know, second shift and emotional labor and all of the things that, that women end up doing in our society that, uh, well, I'm going to pause here. 10 years ago or so, I wrote a post called, um, that was write, writing about mm-hmm. what I called invisible tasks. And where it came from was that I had this realization, and it's a very guy realization, I realized this, where like, I realized that like, no matter what day it was, there was always toothpaste like, in the tube there. And I had not wow. gotten toothpaste in, like, the last 20 years. It was like, <laughs> how is the toothpaste fairy. always there, right? <laughs> it's like the toothpaste fairy. But, you know, it's just one of those things where you, like, realize all of the, like, invisible tasks. Well, I'm going to stop you for a totally second because I don't think a to, lot of people
1: realize. Like, people – I don't think a lot of people have that moment that you had is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so first off, what I want to acknowledge is it's absolutely yeah. visible to mm-hmm. Angela, right? Because she's doing it. But there's all these sort of invisible tasks. It's like there's these fairies that go around. It's like, no, it's not a freaking fairy. It's mom yeah. or or the wife going around doing all of this. But, you know, and so I caught some heat because, you know, I was like, well, it's not invisible to women. It's like, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> right. What I was saying is in some ways, I think women start discounting all of the things that they're doing. And they don't count them as Really, projects and time, energy, and attention, and they wonder why they're not getting stuff done. Well, they are getting stuff done. They're just getting a lot of caretaking. They're getting a lot of, you know, that work done and it's displacing yeah. other work that they might do. And so, um, the reason I, <laughs> the reason I'm sort of on this diversion here is because I think when, um, and, and to be fair, right now, my wife is currently doing a time log because, you know, she's been piling on a bunch of stuff, piling on a bunch of stuff, and she's like, I'm doing a lot. And I'm like, I know I've been telling you this for years. And so she's actually doing a time log. So she gets a better idea of where all of our time goes. Mm-hmm. Cause she's been miscalculating um, so much. So that three to six hours of work yeah. exist in your day, but not on your schedule. It can be really frustrating when you like, where did all my time go? Why am I always so compressed? I don't have time to put the stupid tree up.
1: I don't have the energy. Right? Yeah. Um, Cause then I'm, I'm thinking about to. taking it down I don't have the and energy. like the maintaining with like all of those types of things. Uh-huh.
0: All of those things. And it's a project. That's why I want to count it as a project. Because the question then becomes, Andrea, one, is this truly a priority for you that you really want to see through? And two, if so, what are you not going to do? Or three, how are you going to get some help to actually, you know, main- do all the work the so that it's not twelve thing. to sixteen mm-hmm. hours of Andrea mm-hmm. time, right? It might be four hours of Andrea time else. and four yeah. hours of husband time and eight hours of like you can divide that up and not feel like guilty, not feel like you should be some superwoman or supermom that should be able to do you know all the other work, yeah, that you need to do. And then add the stupid tree on top of it. I keep saying yeah, stupid tree. Yeah, totally. That's and that's where about,
1: fights right? happen, it's like, but it's not about the stupid tree.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not about the stupid tree. It's about the amount of emotional labors, about, about the amount of unseen projects or discounted projects um, that go in. And that's where you end up having these conversations in, in partnerships where it's like, you know, um, there's sort of that cliche where like the husband gets PC because, mm-hmm. you know, he mm-hmm. has to do laundry, right? It, like. I'm sick. Can you do laundry for the day? It's like, I got other stuff to do. It's like, what what are you talking about, man? Right? Come on now. But I think it's because, again, this whole conversation about work has been so heavily skewed towards economic work that we don't realize we don't have the same conversation at the same time with our partners. That No, it's just work. It's who's doing what. what has value for our lives. And maybe you have that conversation with your partner that Maybe there's a certain way that you keep your house now that requires two X amount of time that you guys decide we're not mm-hmm. doing that, and the house looks different. Yeah, but it's one X of time. Maybe that's the compromise that you want to make, um, because you look at your project load and just decide, you know what, that level of sparkle in the home, yeah, is not worth it. It's not worth it to, to me. It's not worth it to you know my partner, and we have other ways we want to spend the time. Like I want to learn to, you mm-hmm. know, I want to make pottery. Instead, instead of vacuuming my home twice a week. Okay. Yeah. That's a great choice.
1: Do it. I so appreciate this, this sort of like sidebar that we have right now. And, and I, a couple of things that popped out, have you ever heard the term confetti time? So I don't know who coined it, but I heard it from a, a colleague of mine. And she was talking about how a lot of ex- productivity experts talk about, okay, well, if you could add up all the 15 minutes that you have in between appointments and, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know, look, you have five hours of your day. And then which makes people, especially women, feel crappy because they have all this time <laughs> that they're wait, essentially wasting, right? But it's this particular person called it confetti time because it's not real time. It's it's not real time. A- anyone who has studied multitasking and things like that knows how our brains work and how difficult it is to sit down and, and put your whole self into being present with a project. So these fifteen minutes of time, sometimes even an hour, is shit. Like we have to go to the bathroom. We're constantly thinking about and 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 also switching gears for a second when you were talking about how Angela does. Um, she's doing a time log. I, I wish there was some way we could do a mind log because this is what I have explained to my husband. And I said, mm-hmm. I feel like I have 37 browsers open at all times. It's almost as if, um, it's, it's like the, the desktop on a computer. You know, you have all these things there to be able to grab them very quickly. That's how my mind is. I have so many bits of information that I can grab at any time. Birthdays of my children, like th- I asked him, one time we got into an argument. I said, do you even know what size shoes they wear? Like, tell me right now, quick, quick, quick information. I need their, their, are their top sizes the same as their bottom sizes? Does so-and-so have, a, what is the inventory of her socks right now? So it's like these little things, these arguments that don't have anything to do with socks, they have to do with the amount of labor that that is completely invisible that our partners may not see. Therefore, how it ties back to this conversation is that, we, I think that a lot of women and maybe my audience, they feel bad that they're not going after the things that light them up, you know, the pottery, the decorating and things like that, because they simply just don't have another ounce in them to give. And so I I wanted to point out those couple other things just to sort of acknowledge it and maybe start a conversation in their own homes.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love it on so many different, um, levels and again i realize this is from a guy talking about his experience with his wife a decade ago and that's kind of a duh experience to have like wait a second, all this stuff just happens like as you started rattling off all those things it's like it reminds me we have like Mm -hmm. a geriatric oh oh my gosh 20 years old she requires a lot of medications um lots of medications and like angela knows like intuitively where she is with everything And when Angela goes somewhere like she had a um, spiritual event over this last weekend, so she was gone four or five days, like she has to write out like a list of everything, but she can forget what's on that list. And I just happen to fill it in. But I'm like, the thing about it is she would be able to do it without the list. Mm -hmm. I would not be able to do it without the list. (laughs) Right. Just because it's so hard encoded into her. And I feel awkward because there are times. And I mean, I don't know if I'm just revealing how much of an ass I am or how or what's going on. But just like. Angela knows like where, what food yeah. I want at different places. Um, like she just knows. Whereas like when I like, Hey, you want me to pick up something? She's like, yeah, pick, you know, go there. And I'm like, well, what do you want? I have to ask that question. And I know I have to ask that question. Super frustrating. I've now written it down. Nice. So that, like <laughs> I have in my, in my phone in notes, what Angela likes to eat everywhere so that I don't have to ask that question. Although, you know, she can change her mind on things, which is completely her prerogative. But my point is, to your to your point, absolutely, absolutely you're absolutely right in that um I think there's all of that all the browser, all of the emotional energy, all of the like that realization that if something happens at school mm-hmm. who gets the first call right and so there's just all those things that I want to say yes, like women y'all y'all are carrying this and really one of the, the pillars of productivity for me or pillars in my work is actually self-compassion right? In sense of saying like, yes, you're overwhelmed, but I don't like to talk about overwhelm. I like to, because overwhelm is a feeling. It's not that I don't like talking about feelings, but we can't solve against the feelings. We're almost never overwhelmed Uh when we're not overloaded. So I like to talk about load because we can fix load, right? We can have good conversations about how we do that. And it turns out if we fix load, we fix the overwhelm, right? And so, and to, to your point about confetti time, um, yeah, when it starts talking about really creative work, um, I talk about in, you know what I call focus blocks, which are mm-hmm. ninety to one hundred twenty minute blocks of time where you can just focus on one thing. And it's not that you spend that ninety to one hundred twenty minutes with like the screen open or with your hands on pottery or you know knitting or cooking or whatever. It's like all the things you might need to do, like going to the bathroom, getting coffee, and walking yeah. around the block, and you know um, all the things you might need to do in that amount of time. But it's that long. Because honestly, it's that long for you to sink into it, to make some meaningful progress, and then exit out of it coherently into the next thing. And um, in the work that I've been doing over the last um, decade and change, what I've noticed is if people don't have enough time to start a focus block, they won't do any of it right? Because they know how frustrating that is. And so mm-hmm. what do we do? We jump on Facebook mm-hmm. or Instagram or YouTube or we, you know, do a Netflix thing or, you know, there's always laundry to do. There's always, you know, something that we can jump into. some a text, a phone call we can make. So we jump to those things because in the short term, it's more satisfying to get something slash anything done than to like quarter do You know, this thing that really matters to us and because it ends up, I think at a certain point, we end up feeding that story that one, we're not getting anywhere with it. We don't have what it takes. It's super hard. We end up building this whole story about dread, which is ironically about the thing we like to do the most or we want to do the most or that we know is going to be the Uh most important for us. Um, And so, so much of this, like, I think um, people and women especially have made schedule and priority um, confusions into character conclusions in the sense where, because their schedule is not set up in a way that allows them to do the things that really matter to them and be present and be really focused Mm -hmm. and um, be in that moment. um, And that's been a consistent pattern. It's turned into, I'm not the type of person that can do that, or this is who I am or something like that. And so they go from that confusion to a conclusion, the confusion about time and, and priorities to a conclusion about character. I'm not a creative. I've heard this one. I'm not a creative person.
1: About. Oh man, I've heard that one. I am not somebody who works out. Uh like all yes, I've heard it all.
0: Yeah. So that's what I would say is like even going to like anytime you say I am not or I am, realize that whatever probably. follows is probably mm-hmm. false in the sense that um you can choose to be all sorts of different th- sorts of things, right? And you become that thing by doing, right? So I can say I'm a writer because I've written a book and I write every day and things like that, but I can also mm-hmm. like not mm-hmm. be a writer in the sense of, I stopped yes. doing that, right? I language can be a former matters. writer, right? And so that's where language matters. And so this is like the difference between yes. I am mad versus I feel anger right? Is there's, there's a huge difference because you can feel anger and you can feel happiness. You can feel gratitude. You can feel frustration. You can feel mm-hmm. joy all at the same damn time. Right. Um, and I think there's a lot of power when you realize that like, you know, what follows I am and what powerful. follows I feel yeah is very momentary. Mm-hmm. is is very powerful. And you have moments of choice there. Um, and not to sort of Bullshit! I'm going to beat you up if you make like if you choose if you're if you're feeling angry and I'm not I don't want to say a moment of choice. Yeah, like, you can feel no, no that's that's sort of the bullshit thing that I hate about sort of this industry It's like no, you can feel to you can choose to accept that there's something that made you angry,
1: and mm-hmm, you behavior. can choose
0: a different mm-hmm. response to that, right? But not. Yeah, you can change your, your behavior, but
1: I'm not asking. I you I, I love that. Just this morning, I actually started playing playing tennis again, and I was playing with this group of women, and we were doing overheads, which I they're not my favorite. So I found myself starting to say, "I'm terrible at these," and I stopped myself, and I was saying it out loud because I'm I'm very verbose all the time, and I said, "I am challenged by these," because <laughs> they are they're challenging for me. But I yeah. I, I find even small instances like that it matters. And this becomes habitual. So I might be changing my language with just a a certain stroke in tennis, and that could translate over to something that is very impactful in my feelings of worthiness and how I talk about myself in front of my children, et cetera. So that's my challenge for everyone listening. Watch when you're saying you are bad at something, you are not creative and just, you can still feel the same way about it. Like I still don't like overheads, <laughs> but it just changing your language can, it can change your life. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, what fires together wires together neurologically. Right. And so if These are hard, or This is hard. This is hard. Next time you have that similar feeling, it's going to, or I am this, right? I'm terrible at this. That becomes your primary sort of trigger in your brain. Uh Next time you're feeling challenged by something, the first thing your brain is going to do because your brains are lazy is going to say, I'm terrible at this. I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible. And that becomes the operating thought pattern. Um, And this, I know like it can, we can talk about it on the woo side, but we can just talk about brain science, straight up brain science. Mm -hmm. Like that's the way your brain will be wired towards things. So anytime you feel that sensation of discomfort that comes from growth of, of learning and not having full mastery at something, the first thing your brain's going to fire off because it's lazy is I'm terrible at this.
1: Well, and also when you, when you say that and feel that about yourself, it feels like shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those weird tricks where it's like, um, and you know, I know we, we say this as coaches all yeah. the time, like treat yourself as well as you treat other people, like say, mm-hmm. Tr- mm-hmm. like, and treat yourself Good with words. your words as well as you treat other people with your words. If you would never no. look at your daughter and be like, you're no. terrible at that, stop doing it.
1: We, we just wouldn't.
0: All the right? time. Every day. But we do it to ourselves. Yes.
1: I love, I love this. And I didn't get to ask you all the questions I wanted to ask you. So I'm just going have to have you on again. <laughs> just going to keep happening. <laughs> Let's do it. Because the other questions Anytime. were important. And everyone, please go out and buy Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done. And I got actually a lot of really great feedback on your last episode that you were on. So if you have not listened to that, it's episode 238, everyone. Or if you have listened to it, listen to it again. Charlie Gokie, thank you so much for being here.
0: Andrea, thanks so much for having me. And I look forward to our next one.
1: It's been super fun. And everyone, thank you for your time. You know how much I appreciate it and know how valuable your time is. Super grateful. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.